Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I'm Dale Williams, one of the preaching pastors and pastor of Congregational Care. When my wife and I went to serve in Madagascar in 1968, we found a culture that migrated from Polynesia around the time of Christ, and they had a view of the world that was very different from ours. Malagasy people believe there is a god whom they call Andriamanitra, long word, and it means Lord of the sweet-smelling grass. <laughs> but they believe that this god has moved away far, far away, and he's left his creation alone, and he no longer concerns himself at all with this creation. He is so far away that he can't hear our prayers or our cries for help from the people. And so the Malagasy people turned to the spirits of their ancestors. They believed that the spirits of the dead continue to live around them and that they are the ones who are involved in our daily lives for good or for bad. And if the ancestors are happy and well taken care of, they can help us and protect the living in this life. They can help women get pregnant. They can make the crops yield more. They can protect those who are traveling. They can help students get good grades. But if the ancestors are not happy, they can wreak havoc on our lives. They can bring sickness, they can bring crop failure, they can bring disease to people and to animals, they bring disasters and accidents. All our lives are influenced by the spirits of the ancestors who live right around us. And so, in order to take good care of the ancestors, the Malagasy people build large, elaborate tombs on the tops of the hills surrounding the countryside. These are large, well-built buildings. They can hold up to 40 to 50 cadavers of dead people, ancestors of their family. 
They wrap them in raw silk cloth and they're laid out on sort of bunk bed shelves around the interior of the tomb. And every six to seven years, the family will gather around the tomb. They will open it up and take out the bodies and rewrap them in new silk cloth. They will give gifts of money and food to put beside the bodies and then pray to them asking for help in their daily lives. Their hope for life after death is that their family will remember them well and honor them with gifts and keep them happy. And as long as someone in the family can remember their names, they will remain alive in spirit. But when their name is forgotten by any living member of the family, they cease to exist. This is their worldview of reality. When Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Greeks, he also faced a culture with a very different view of reality. In Acts 19, we read of how Paul came to Athens and he spoke with the philosophers and the scholars of the Greek capital. Stoics and Epicureans were part of the audience who heard Paul speak. They did not believe in the resurrection of the body from the dead. Because you see, Greek-Roman thinking was that the soul or spirit was good, but the physical and material world, including our bodies, was weak and corrupt and defiling. And to them, the physical, by definition, was always falling apart, and therefore, salvation was conceived as liberation from the body. In this worldview, resurrection was not only impossible, but it was totally undesirable. No soul, having gotten free from its body, would ever want it back. Even those who believed in reincarnation understood that the return to embodied life meant that the soul was not yet out of its prison. The goal was to get free of the body forever. Once your soul is free of its body, a return to re-embodied life was outlandish, unthinkable, and impossible. And Acts 19 tells us that when Paul left Athens, where he preached the gospel to that audience, he then went to Corinth. The church at Corinth was made up largely of Greek believers who grew up accepting this typical worldview of the Greek culture. And for them, resurrection of the body was unthinkable and undesirable. And that is what Paul is referring to in this chapter we're studying in this series, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You may want to turn to it. 
And in verse 12, Paul says, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Well, he's referring to their belief that the resurrection is just unthinkable, undesirable, it's impossible. You see, these new believers in this city of Corinth came out of a cultural worldview that denied the possibility of a resurrection of the body. But our Christian view of reality, our story of reality is quite different. Paul, at the first part of this chapter 15, has just presented a totally different picture of reality. In verses 1 through 11, Paul says, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. And in the verses following, he summarizes the main points of the gospel. And a central point of the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What Paul is getting, giving here is a critical part of our Christian story of reality. It's not like anything in Madagascar. It's not like anything in ancient Greek philosophy. It is a story of life and death and life after death. So let me give the main points of this Christian story of reality. First is creation. It begins clear back in Genesis. The story begins with God's creation of the whole universe, including human beings here on earth. Then comes the fall. Humans disobeyed and fell under the judgment of God the Creator. Third, the third part of this story is redemption. The story of reality is that God, out of great compassion and grace, provided his only son to pay the penalty for this disobedience. Jesus Christ, his son, came to earth and died for the sins of the world. And then he rose from the dead in order to justify those who believe on him and give them the righteousness of God. And fourth, restoration. After this redemption achieved by Christ, God is working to restore the world and all of us, those who believe in him, preparing us for a perfect life with him forever in heaven. That's the, the major points of our story of reality. But I hope you can see that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a central and vital part of this story of reality. Without it, the story falls apart and does not make sense. It's like the story of Dickens' Christmas Carol. If you take Scrooge out of the story, 
it becomes a whole different story altogether. And just so, if you take Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection out of our story of, re of reality, it just falls apart and becomes some other story altogether. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is so critical to this story. And that's why we're taking some time in this series we began last Sunday about the resurrection. It's so vital and critical, a part of our Christian story of reality. And if it is not true, then the whole story is not true. And I must tell you that many of my thoughts today for this message comes from a book by Gregory Kukul. Gregory Kukul tells, writes the book, The Story of Reality, but I really like the subtitle. How the world began, how it ends, and everything important that happens in between. <laughs> How's that? But this great resource, and you may want to get a copy of this book, if you're interested in following and pursuing this, he, he writes so carefully and yet so simply and clearly about the validity of our Christian faith. And so we said last week in the message that Zach gave us on Easter Sunday, that in fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a real fact. It is true. The evidence is clear, and Zach presented that. It is true because it was predicted by prophets hundreds of years before the events. And the possibility that all of those prophecies could be fulfilled in one person, in one event, the death and resurrection of Christ, is beyond calculation. It is true also because it was witnessed, witnessed by hundreds of people, eyewitnesses that could testify to the fact that once dead Jesus was in fact alive again in physical form. And finally, the reality of the resurrection is effective because it changed people's lives and it changed history. That is why Paul makes such a big point of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's because it's true. It's because it's reality. But again, I remind you, it's not the only story about reality in our world today. It has competition. One of the competition in Jesus' day was the ancient Greek philosophy. But today, there is another story. And it's accepted by many secular materialists who deny the resurrection. There is within our post-Christian culture a growing movement to, towards this secular, materialistic view of reality. Over 25% of Americans now register as nuns. 
When asked, what is your religious faith, they say, none. That is, they identify with no religious group at all. Many of them, not all of them, but many of them buy into a secular story of reality. For example, most secular atheist agnostic people do not believe in an afterlife, at least not in the sense that a soul or a spirit survives the death of the brain. And most do not think that the universe or human life or nature has any inherent purpose. It's all just a matter of haphazard evolution. They reject any idea of supernatural powers for our existence and think everything can be explained by science. Therefore, they do not accept the idea of objective morality or standards of right and wrong or good and bad. They especially reject the concept of some supernatural being revealing and imposing some standard of morality on all human beings. These nuns often do believe that we are all part of nature, and they see nature as something bigger than themselves, and therefore they feel that they have an obligation to try to improve the future development of nature for future generations. As, and so today, as in the city of ancient Corinth, many people are saying, there is no resurrection of the dead. Resurrection simply doesn't fit into their story of reality, and therefore it can't be true. Stephen Hawking, who won the Nobel Prize for theoretical physics, a brilliant guy, but he died in 1918 from Lou Gehrig's disease. His final answer to the question about God was this. It's my view that the simplest explanation is that there is no God. No one created the universe and no one directs our fate. This leads me to a profound realization. There is probably no heaven and afterlife either. I think belief in an afterlife is just wishful thinking. There is no reliable evidence for it, and it flies in the face of everything we know in science. I think that when we die, we return to dust. But there's a sense in which we live on, in our influence and in our genes, that we pass on to our children. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe. And for that, I am extremely grateful. In my opinion, Stephen Hawking does not honestly examine the facts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It seems to me he has ruled out the possibility of the supernatural based on his own worldview. Before he's ever examined the historical facts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But let's be fair and honest, and let's honestly ask the question, what if the resurrection isn't true? What if the Christian story of reality is false, and that the resurrection of dead people is not a possible fact of reality? Paul boldly faces that very question here in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 13 through 19. You may want to take your Bible, but I'm going to have it up here on the screen. And through these verses, he carefully examines the possibility, what if it's not true? For example, in verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Here's the basic proposition. If no resurrection is possible, then Christ has not been raised. Now, we go further. The next step, if Christ has not been raised, and he gives six consequences of that. Verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain, and we have been found to be misrepresenting God because we testified to God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So here's the proper proposition. If Christ is not raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, it's futile, and we are misrepresenting God when we tell the story of the resurrection. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, even, not even Christ has been raised. He's repeating the first proposition. If the story is false, then Christ has not risen. But in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, and now he continues, then your faith is futile, he repeats that, and you are still in your sins. So here's the proposition. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is in vain, it's futile, and you are still in your sins. Continue, verse 18, then, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. The proposition is a continuing. If Christ has not been raised, then those who have died have perished. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. And the proposition carries on. If Christ has not been raised then our only hope for a better life is between birth and death in this life. That's it. Now, I want to give you a summary. You may want to look at this slide. It summarizes all of them. 
You may even want to take a picture of it. But go through it carefully. If Christ is not raised, then our preaching of the gospel is in vain. That means we are here giving you a false view of reality. What I'm saying up here today is a lie. And your faith is in vain. And all that you've been trusting for salvation and life after death, it's all based on a lie. And it will get you nowhere. And in the end, there is nothing. It means also that our preaching misrepresents God. It, we're blaspheming against God. We're pronouncing something that is simply silly. It's just unreliable. It's a false story of reality. And what we're doing here in church is actually a bad thing. If Christ is not raised from the dead. Fourth, it says that you are still in your sins. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, if he actually died on the cross, but he never rose again from the dead, then you still are in your sins. There is no sacrifice or atonement for your sins. There is no escape from your bondage to sin. Fifth, those who have already died have perished, <laughs> and there is nothing more for them. And some of you have lost loved ones, and if Christ is not raised, then their life is finished. And when you die, it's over. And finally, <clears throat> if, if, Christ has not been raised, then your only hope for life of meaning and any kind of significance you're going to get here and now, between your birth and your death. Because once that is over, it's finished. There's no more to the story. But don't forget verse 20. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, if Christ has been raised, and it is true, then, what is then? There is a God. There is a supernatural power. There is a being who is control, who is sovereign over all creation, who can bring back to life some dead corpse, something that cannot happen in a materialistic view of life. If Christ is raised from the dead, then there is purpose and direction for all creation. This is a planned part of what is happening. Christ is sent by God to redeem sinful human beings. He is paying the penalty for our sin. Then the death and resurrection of Christ provides the only way to escape from the bondage of sin and decay. Even Stephen Hawking admits 
that things are not going well in our world. But his only hope is somehow in evolution of the future, we can learn to overcome it. But in Christ, if Christ is raised from the dead, then we have the possibility of forgiveness of sins. There is life after death. Christ died, and he's alive. And if he's alive, we also shall live in him. And then we know that we will live forever, either with Christ or without him. Now, these are things that we'd like to discuss, and we will, in the next two's messages. So you don't want to miss that. That's the victory. And you need to come back next two weeks and find those out. But this morning, we're talking about the implications of what if it isn't true? Which story of reality is really true? We've looked at the resurrection of Jesus Christ as an essential part of the Christian story of reality. Now, a good story of reality is able to account for all of the facts of reality. It doesn't leave out some things or ignore some, but takes them all into account as a comprehensive explanation of what life is all about. That's why the secular materialistic story of reality is not good, because it doesn't take into account the fact of a resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it seems evident to me that the Christian story of reality does exactly that. The secular story of reality dismisses the fact of resurrection. It cannot account for the fact that the dead corpse of the Christ, after three days, actually began to live again in a new and powerful form. That's why I say that you have a choice, and this choice is a matter of life and death. I say that because we are not talking about a fairy tale story. The Christian story is a picture of reality. This is the story of the way the world really is. It's history, it's not fiction. Last Sunday, we heard the words of C.S. Lewis. Christianity, he said, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. But I remind you, that this choice we're talking about is a choice that must not only be believed, but trusted in. What do I mean by that? We must believe it is true, not just a blind faith, but a faith based on facts, a reasonable faith. Dr. Kukul, the author of the book I mentioned before, argues that belief, however, is not enough. 
We must put our belief into action, and we must act on our belief. We must trust and rely on those beliefs in order to receive the benefits of it. We must put our trust in the truth, in the facts of reality. Just pretend for a moment, if you will, that you are a diabetic. My wife and I are diabetics, so this is sort of a good, true story. And you're on, but you have diabetes, but you're on the verge of a diabetic coma. And pretend also that I present you with a hypodermic syringe in a small vial, and I tell you that it is insulin, and that I can inject you with this insulin. Would you trust me to give you an injection to save your life? You see, you can believe it's insulin, but until you agree and let me inject you with the insulin, you're not going to get better. The insulin will not give you any relief. You will remain in danger until you take the step of faith and actively entrust yourself to my care and get the injection. But suppose that I play a mean trick on you and I put saline, not insulin, in the vial. I inject you with saline. You would die even though you sincerely believe that it was insulin in the injection. Just faith and trust alone cannot save you. If you have both belief and trust to be sure, but you would be dead nonetheless if it wasn't really true. Even Muslims, you see, suicide bombers overflow with <laughs> authentic faith, but it does them no good. Trust can be misplaced, and often is. If Jesus is not insulin, but only saline, the Christian is lost in his sins, no matter how strong or how genuine or how well-intentioned your faith is. So unless the central details of the story about Jesus are true, and we actively trust in him, we rely on him in our daily life, then this story will do us no good. We may go to church every week, but we will just be wasting our time. You see, there are many people who come to church, and they have their doctrine straight. They know what they believe, but they don't live by it. Their life is a contradiction. It's called hypocrisy. And that's why sometimes our Christian witness is so confusing to the world. We say we believe one thing, but we live another. If we have an unshakable faith in something that turns out to be false, then you have an unshakable delusion. And the icy waters will soon get you. 
if we are reaching out with the hand of faith to grasp a fantasy, then there will be no one there to rescue us, no matter how strong or how sincere your faith is. That is why reason and evidence matter in this story. It is critical to get the facts right. But I'm here to declare this morning that the Christian story of reality is true. And I invite you to believe, but not just believe, but to put your trust in the true story of the risen Christ. Let me give you a single sentence, and I know it's going to be long, but it's the essential story, facts of the story. And I'm going to put it up on the screen. You can take a picture of it. We're going to leave it there for a while so you can maybe write it, jot it down. But here, I think, in one sentence, is the essential facts of our true story. God, the creator of the universe, in order to rescue man from punishment for his rebellion, came to earth and took on humanity in Jesus the Savior to die on a cross and rise from the dead so that in the final resurrection, those who receive his mercy will enjoy a friendship with their sovereign Lord in the kind of perfect world their hearts have always yearned for. That's the foundation of my life. That's what I try to live by. The decisions I make, the value judgments that I live by are based on that story. And if you're a Christian today, that is your story. Maybe you are not trusting the Christ of this story and you're not living a transformed life then you are living a lie. I invite you to repent and return to your Savior and Lord and to learn to live with this reality of resurrection in your life. Remember, belief in the facts is not enough. You must put your belief into action and put your trust in Christ the one who died for your sins and who rose from the dead for your justification. When you truly rely on him, repent of your sins and accept him, he comes into your life and begins the process of changing you into his image. If you are not a Christian, this is also your story. Because this isn't a religious fairy tale. This is the story of the way things really are. But now you are at a crossroads and you have two choices. You can bow before the sovereign, God, 
of creation and of salvation. And you can plead for mercy because of Christ and his death and his resurrection. And you will be welcomed into his family as a son or a daughter and belong to him. Or you can reject the gift and stand alone at the judgment and pay for your own crimes against God, such as they are. You will live forever, either with him or without him. So I invite you to accept the pardon he offers while you can and turn and follow Jesus because this is not just a story. It's a true story. It's the true story. It's the story of reality. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, who really did come, and he really did die, and he really did rise from the dead, and he's really sitting at your right hand right now. He's interceding for us, and he's waiting for us to come to him in repentance and faith. Oh, Father, I pray for those believers today who are not actively living their faith. Bring them back, Lord, to a vital relationship with you that will change their lives. But Father, I pray for some here today who are honestly saying, I'm not sure. It just doesn't make sense to me that you have risen from the dead, but the facts are there. Oh, God, help them to see the truth. If we miss it, Lord, we've lost everything. But you've revealed to us the truth of your love, and your salvation. And with all of our hearts, we put our faith and our lives into your hands because we believe it is true. Praise you, God. Praise Jesus. We pray in the name of our living Savior, Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.